Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of our online service today. You know, every single one of us have certain routines that we do every day. When we get up, like brushing our teeth, or making up our bed, or taking a shower, drinking a cup of coffee. Well, my daily routine includes some of those things, but also I, I stretch some, do some stretches, I shave my whiskers off, I have a devotional time with the Lord, and uh, oftentimes I'll clean up email early in the morning. We all do these certain routine behaviors. Well, as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives us some very practical insight on how to consistently live the Christian life by using a metaphor, uh, a word picture that describes one of these daily routines that we all do. Every day we take off and put on certain articles of clothing, right? Every morning I get up, I go into my closet, and I pick out the shirt I'm going to wear that day. I'm probably not going to wear the same shirt from one day to the next because it's dirty. It goes in the dirty clothes hamper. Now, I might wear blue jeans longer than one day. And I think my record for wearing blue jeans was like, like a month. <laughs> You're thinking like, did he really mean a month? Oh, yes. This is before I married Cheryl. Actually, it's when I was in university. In 1977, I spent six weeks in the summer on a cultural exchange program in communist Europe and the then former Soviet Union. I wore the same blue jeans four straight weeks without washing them. I just never got around to it. Now, there was a great benefit for not washing them. After a couple of weeks, I could just set them over in the corner. They'd stand up by themselves. No hanger necessary. Now, Cheryl would not let me do that today, of course. Now, in the passage today, we're going to continue our study of Ephesians. Paul uses this putting off and putting on idea when he gives several attitudes and actions we are to put off and others that we are to put on to fully follow Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to use this uh, metaphor, these two visuals. On the one hand, I'm going to use a dirty clothes hamper. On the other, a hanger that has a, has a shirt on it. Now, the hamper represents putting off some of these attitudes and actions that are unbecoming for a follower of Jesus, kind of sinful stuff. And putting on is represented by this coat hanger with a shirt on it that represents the attitudes and actions that we should put on as a follower of Jesus, these good and righteous kinds of things. Now, here's today's big idea. To grow in Christ requires that you put off and put on five contrasting attitudes and actions. So, we're going to see from today's passage these ten qualities in, in uh, contrasting groups of two using this metaphor of putting off and putting on. But let's do a review of last week first. You recall that as we've gone through this series on Ephesians, the first three chapters deal with the doctrine or theology of being a follower of Jesus. The next three chapters explain what we do, how believers act that indicates we really are a follower of Jesus. So here is last week's big idea. Apostle Paul gave us seven qualities that indicate, indicate what I call a life well lived, a life that's fully committed to Jesus. So, and I also, in these seven qualities, I gave you a, um, a little uh, evaluation grid using emojis. So I'm going to repeat these here. A life well lived. You have a healthy self-concept, and I use these emojis as a way for you to self-evaluate. A healthy self-concept, measured responses when you're in a stressful situation with somebody, a long fuse that relates to number two, 
You respond versus retaliate when you're in a difficult situation with other people. You're a peacemaker. You really seek to be a unifier rather than disunifier. You have a divine place of service in the body of Christ, the church, and you're a good follower. So today, that was last week's. Today, this is the passage we're looking at, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. So if you want to get your Bibles, or if you have a Bible app to follow along, do that. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Okay, here we go. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Thinking correctly is so crucial for following Jesus. Uh, verse 18 says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Then in verse 20, he says, You, speaking to followers of Jesus, however, do not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, that's pre-Christian days, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The end of verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off, there's that image, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those who are in need. Then this is one of my favorite verses here, this verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all, there's this picture again, put off. Get rid of all bitterness, raging, or brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then here's the putting on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, great, great passage there. Now, what he's saying in verse 17 here, when he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. What he's saying is, after you come to faith, you will see things differently because your thinking process gets profoundly shaped by God's Spirit who lives in you. What we think and what we believe is absolutely crucial for living the Christian life. So he talks again here in this next verse or two about thinking. He uses these terms, these descriptive terms, darken, hearts that have been hardened, losing all sensitivity, even giving themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more, wanting more of that sinful lifestyle. He's again describing, as he has before in Ephesians, that the spiritual condition of a person who is not a follower of Jesus is reflected in these words, darkened, hardening, and losing sensitivity. And that by the very fact uh, of these things in their lives, they are opposing God's ways. Now, 
This does not mean that a person who's not a Christian can't be a kind, caring friend or neighbor or family member. But Paul says without Christ, he says that our hearts are hardened to God, our spirits are dead to him, and our thinking is darkened to God's ways. And any person, including a believer, can lose sensitivity to what is right and wrong as we become more and more spiritually calloused and increasingly give ourselves over to conduct and character that contradicts God's ways. We can see this clearly in our culture today. 20 or 30 years ago, Canadian and American culture generally as a whole agreed on the basic tenets of a Judeo-Christian viewpoint on things like marriage and sexual morals, the value of human life, those kinds of things. It is dramatically different today. It's what I call the slippery slope. We're in the slippery slope right now. See, here's, what, here's how that works in a person's life. Small compromises in attitude and action lead to even larger compromises, which leads to even larger ones, which lead to being neutral about what we used to believe was right and wrong, which leads to openly practicing those things we considered wrong with no sense of guilt, which leads to celebrating those beliefs and behaviors that we once knew and believed clearly contradicted God's ways. And today, to hold to biblical beliefs not in a prideful or a dismissive way toward those who believe differently, but to hold to biblical beliefs may get you in trouble, may get you punished today. And the term used for punishing someone who does not embrace the current cultural views on morality is called canceling. You get canceled. You get removed from social media. Uh, you're accused of being a bigot. And even for some, there are economic penalties. Some people have lost their job because they stood for a biblical uh, viewpoint, worldview. This is the new world in which we live in. But we have to remember that the God of the Bible is a big God. And he will sustain us so that we can stand strong in a very difficult, challenging world. You see, growing in Christ is really a day-by-day -day process of putting off old patterns of thinking and acting and putting on new ones, putting off and putting on, like putting off and putting on clothes. It goes on to say in verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, there it is, put off what? Your old self which is being corrupted by the deceitful, its deceitful desires. And then what? To be made new, putting on these new attitudes of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. So put off and put on. Now think about this. Every day we put on and put off different kinds of clothes. For some, it may be a business suit. For some, it's like sneakers, jeans, and, you know, I don't know, T-shirt. Others, a nurse's uniform. Other, maybe a police uniform, and so on. What we put on projects a certain identity. We put on clothes that give an, um, an image or reflect an identity in the work world or when we're in public places. Likewise, the attitudes and actions that we clothe ourselves with portrays an identity. Paul is saying in this passage that we must put off that which is contrary to our new identity in Christ and to put on that which aligns with that new identity in Christ. Our attitudes and our actions that we clothe ourselves with reflect the identity we're living out. Now, this process is really a, a ongoing. It's put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. 
Now, as we do this with the Holy Spirit's power, uh, these godly and honorable attitudes and actions become more and more consistent in our lives. Now, in one sense, when a person becomes a Christian, there is an instantaneous change that occurs in their heart. We've seen this earlier in the book of Ephesians. Our hearts were dead to God. And after salvation, we are alive to Christ. We become a new person from the inside out. But, and you kind of intuitively know this, some of those old patterns of behavior and belief, conduct and character are built into our brains and thinking patterns that still influence our behavior and they take time to change. This change process over time is what we call sanctification, which is what the Holy Spirit does in us as he transforms us over time as we cooperate with him by putting off, by put, t- taking off and putting on. But this process is not passive. This change, this renewal, this transformation requires our desire to change and our diligent cooperation with his spirit. Now, Paul says, put on, be, uh, rather put off the old self, the old patterns of thinking and behaving, which sometimes we must do, we must do, and to put on these new patterns of thinking and behaving, something we do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Now, these next few verses actually give us these five specific areas in which we're to put off something and put on something, and the motivation. In other words, the why, why do we do these? Now, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but they were important enough for Paul to call our attention to these qualities in in this passage. So, verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off, what? Falsehood. And you can see the putting on and, and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So, what he's saying here is this, we're to put off lying. Now, in the Greek culture, it's quite a bit different from our culture. Lying was actually encouraged. Some of the Greek sayings were like, a life is better than a truth, uh, rather, a lie is better than a hurtful truth. Another one was when telling a lie, uh, telling a lie, if it will be profitable, let it be told. This is the culture the Ephesians grew up under. They needed to hear what Paul had to say about this. In fact, I found it very interesting. Researchers have studied lying. They found, this is pretty crazy, that 60% of people lie at least once during the span of a 10-minute conversation. And men and women lie differently. Women were more likely to lie to make the person they were talking with feel good, while men lie most often to make themselves look better. <laughs> what a contrast. So when I say lying, what do I mean? Well. An outright lie, certainly. Deception. Lying could include leaving out the truth, leaving an impression of something that is not true, and what we would call a little white lie. So Paul is saying put off lying and put on what? Put on honesty. In other words, always tell the truth. Now, it does not mean that we brutally tell the truth with no regard for the person's feelings. We are to speak truth in love. And why do we do this? Because it builds up the body of Christ. Paul wrote in this verse I read a moment ago, after he said to not lie and to speak truth, that we are all members of one body. You see, when we tell the truth in love and don't lie, we build trust and we build depth 
and we build authenticity. And in doing so, we build up the body of Christ. So, put off lying, put on honesty. Why? Because it builds up the body of Christ. Then he gives us another one in verse 26. In your anger, he says, do not sin. And he kind of qualifies it there. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So, this is pretty self-intuitive here, right? Pretty intuitive. Put off anger. Now, a qualifier here. All anger is not sin. Jesus himself never sinned, but he got angry a few times. When people got ripped off in the temple when they were purchasing sacrifices, he got angry. When the disciples were acting like children, he got angry. When the Pharisees' rigid orthodoxy caused unnecessary suffering for the afflicted, he got angry. You see, justifiable, but he was still sinless. Jesus was sinless, even though he was angry sometimes. You see, justifiable righteous anger can motivate us to solutions. For example, you've heard of mothers against drunk driving. Well, they're angry that people drink, drive, and kill people. People who righteously get angry have a great incentive to do something positive. But, as we probably all know, anger can also be sin. And unresolved anger can lead to sin, like justifying revenge or bitterness or license to sin. So, we're to put off anger. What do we put on? We are to put on resolution of that anger. Now, when Paul wrote, don't let the sun go down while you're angry, what he was implying here is to resolve your anger soon, quickly. Do not let it fester. Do not let it simmer. Unresolved anger is like a poisonous stew to your soul. When I was a kid, I was a, I was a Boy Scout. We'd go camping, and one of the things we would make to eat was stew. We would get a big pot, put water in it. We put potatoes and we put carrots and put onions and chunks of, chunks of beef. And over time, as that stew cooked and, and simmered, all of those different elements we put into that pot uh, actually influenced and permeated the entire stew. In a similar way, when we don't resolve our anger, it permeates our entire soul and it can lead us to bitterness a desire for revenge, passive aggressiveness, and even harm to our own body. Because as we keep anger inside, it actually affects us, makes us sick. Now, why do we put off anger and put on resolution? Because it will stifle the influence of Satan. Paul wrote in that context of that passage we just read to not give Satan a foothold. Now, understand Satan is not just an enemy that works in like extraordinarily uh, outward, blatant, evil ways. He's a schemer, a deceiver, a conniver, the father of lies. He tries to put us in positions where we don't resolve our anger, where our anger rises to a 10, and then it just takes one more thing to come at us, and we pop our top in many ways. We fall off the handle. We may say things we shouldn't, uh, and it hurts others. We drive it inward, and we become uh, rageful. You see, unresolved anger can become a foothold for Satan because it lowers our threshold to tolerate the stresses of life, making us more susceptible to popping our tops and doing things we shouldn't do. So, we're to put off anger. We're to put on resolution of that anger. Why? Because it will stifle the influence of Satan. And now it goes on to say in the next verse, He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his hands 
that he may have something to share with those in need. So, we're to put off theft. Now, Paul refers here to really to all kinds of stealing and, and dishonesty, from outright stealing, as we see on the news today, when these gangs will run into a store, especially in the U.S., run into a store and smash and grab and then run. That's one extreme. As well as more subtle forms of stealing, like not putting in a day's work for a full day's pay, like cheating on your taxes, like employers not paying what their employees should earn, what they're due. So Paul says, put off theft, but put on diligence. Now, apparently some of the new believers in this church in Ephesus, where Paul wrote this letter to them initially, apparently some of the new believers there had come from a lifestyle where they didn't work, and they stole stuff. And Paul is saying you need to work for a living. You need to be diligent. He's saying work for a living, work hard, and be diligent. Why do we do this? So you can become more generous to those in need. Paul wrote in the verse we just read that you may have something to share with those in need. One of the reasons God blesses us financially in our work is so that we can have more resources, not just for us, but more resources to share with others, those in need, ministry needs, what God is up to in the church. You see, as God blesses you financially, there should be a commensurate increase in your generosity toward God's work and toward those who are in need. That's what he's saying here. So he's saying put off theft, put on diligence so that we can be more generous to those in need. The next verse is that verse I said was one of my favorite ones. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit, really key word here, benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So this verse tells us to put off hurtful words. Uh, unwholesome talk, the, the word he used there is actually a very colorful word. It's used for rotten fruit and rotten vegetables. Have you ever smelled rotten potatoes? Man, it's really stinky. <laughs> Paul is saying just like the smell and the sight and taste of rotten food repulses us, so should filthy language, slander, gossip, cussing, and critical talk should repulse us to the point we put them off, put it off. We don't use those kind of words. Filthy, damaging, slanderous words are incompatible with a new life in Christ. So put off hurtful words, but then put on Helpful ones. Paul wrote that we should use words that benefit those who listen. The word benefit, I, I, I put a, a green box around that. It is, a, it is the word grace. Do you realize that we have the power with righteous and edifying and encouraging words to help others experience a taste of God, a taste of His grace? When we use our words for good, we confer on others a kind of a blessing. And my wife, Cheryl, she's a, she's a master at that. I've seen her conversing with someone who really has a, a tough time, and she encourages them with their spirit, with their words, and that person is filled with life. When we do this, we confer favor, a kind of grace, upon other people. Why do we do it? To avoid grieving God. Paul wrote in the same context of using our words wisely that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul ties grieving the heart of God to misusing our words because words are powerful. 
When a Christian uses filthy language or cursing or slander or gossip, it hurts the heart of God. It breaks his heart. His holiness is offended and his love is wounded. So, we're to put off hurtful words. We're to put on helpful words so that we avoid grieving God. Now, he next in the next few verses, he puts in several ideas together. In this one verse, rather. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Then he says, what we need to put on, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what do we put off? What I'm calling a me-focus. All of these words in the first part of verse 31 describe reactions of someone that doesn't get their way. The first word, bitterness, uh, is like a corrosive acid to your soul. Then he ends that negative list with the word malice, which describes a person who wants to injure somebody else because they don't get their way. So we put off a me focus and we put on an other focus. Last part of verse 32, he uses words like kindness and compassion and forgiveness that describe a disposition of a person that is other-focused. Such people want to help others, especially those who are hurting. Life is not all about them. So put off a of me focus, put on other focus. Why? We will embody the very character of Christ. He wrote that we should do these things because Jesus did that for us as he exercised his, his character and showed a compassionate and kindness uh, quality in his life and through his sacrifice on the cross. We become other focused to embody the character of Jesus. So, put off of me focus, put on other focus, so that we will embody the character of Christ. Now, I'm going to put them all up on the screen at one time. We put off lying. We put on honesty. We put off anger. We put on resolution of that anger. We're to put off theft. We're to put on diligence. Work hard. Don't steal. We're to put on, put off rather, hurtful words. We're to put on helpful words. We're to put off a me focus and put on another focus. So, how, how would you kind of rate, rate yourself? What do you need to put off? Is there something in this category right here that you need to put off by the Spirit's power? On the other hand, is there something you need to put on by the Spirit's power? You see, putting off and putting on, it's not gutting something out or having enough willpower to do it. Rather, it is a submissive choice that we must make to the Lord. If we really want to put off certain attitudes and actions and put on other attitudes and actions, the Holy Spirit who lives in us will empower you to do that very thing. He will empower us to put off whatever we need to put off and put on what we need to put on. But we have to take the first step though. We must decide, I'm going to deal with this. Let's say if you've got an anger problem, I am going to deal with this. Lord, I'm asking you to help me. Or, you know, I need to, I need to use more helpful words and positive words. Jesus, by the power of Spirit, will help you do that. So here's a little challenge for this week. Take this list, pick the put on, and ask the Lord to help you put on that quality more consistently in your regular week. All right? Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. We thank you for the example he gave us in putting on 
his uh, righteous qualities. Lord, we know that we still live in a world, a broken world. We still live with patterns that were ingrained to us and because of our sinful nature that we need to put off. But we know that you give us everything for life and godliness. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us put off those things that are unbecoming for a follower of Jesus and help us put on that which is becoming for a follower of Jesus. And before I close this prayer, if you're watching this, you've never come to faith, you've never trusted Jesus, placed your faith in Jesus, you can do that right now. By simply saying in your heart something like this, and the words aren't magical, but it indicates the desire of your heart. Pray something like this. Tell God something like this. Dear God, I want Jesus in my life. I admit I have sinned. I have broken your laws. But I believe Jesus died for me on the cross for my sins. I accept him by faith. I want to become a follower of Jesus. Lord, I pray for that man, woman, that student that trusted you, that you would help them and bring people into their lives that will encourage them in this brand new life that they've embraced. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.